son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me, Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Everybody, episode 416 the podcast. It is America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday, August 9th, 2021, people. And I cannot tell a lie. Last week was a busy week. For the Aratora Sports Podcast, that's right. The number one high school player in America, Jalen Duran, committed last week, but that's only part of the story. He puts out a video on Thursday announcing his commitment, and whose voice is in the background of Jalen Duran's pre-commitment video? That's right. The Aratora Sports Podcast, as he quotes me, he uses audio from this show. On Friday, he announces his commitment using audio from many different college basketball podcasts and radio shows and whatever. The Aratora Sports Podcast is there again, too. So thank you for all of you who did tag me on Instagram, tag me on Twitter. Let me know that, yes, in fact, the Aratora Sports Podcast was featured on Jalen Duran's commitment video. That commitment video is still on Instagram if you want to watch it. But we got a loaded show. Uh, and if Jalen Duran, if you're listening, man, congrats. It's been a great week, and I appreciate your support, my man. But that is going to be the topic of the day. It's been the topic. Is Jalen Duran the number one player in America? He commits to Memphis. We're going to hit this from all angles. What it means for him. Why Memphis. What it means for Memphis now as the pressure ratches it up on Penny Hardaway. What it means for Miami and Kentucky who missed out on Jalen Duran. The G League effect. All that stuff. From there, we'll take a quick break. We'll kind of do some odds and ends. I do want to talk a little Olympic basketball because, uh, yeah, your boy was wrong as USA takes the gold. I loved what I saw from Kevin Durant. Little summer of KD here. And, of course, from there, we'll do a little uh, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We will wrap with Bobby Bowden, obviously the legend, passing away on Sunday. All right, so let's get to the topic of the day, which is really, frankly, uh, the topic of the month here on the Aratora Sports Podcast, and that is the recruitment of the number one high school player or one of the top high school basketball players in America, Jalen Duran, initially a member of the class of 2022. And what we've really spent a lot of time talking about over the last month, the last six weeks, maybe even two months, is one, would he reclassify, and two, 
would he end up playing college basketball as opposed to taking a professional pathway? Uh, and so Friday we got the answer. Friday, talk about a Friday news dump. About 5.30 Eastern time, 6.30 Eastern time, whatever it was, Jalen Duran, the number one high school player in the class of 2022, announces his commitment. And drum roll, please. He is going to Memphis, and he is reclassifying to the high school class of 2021, meaning that he is playing college basketball this year. That is right. Two months from now, three months from now, whatever. This kid will be playing college basketball wearing a Memphis uniform as Jalen Duran decides to go to Memphis over the likes of Miami and Kentucky from the college realm and the G League and the NBL in Australia in terms of professional options. Now, before we get to kind of the who, what, when, where, why, what it means for Memphis, for this kid, for the other teams involved, let me just say this. I think you can legitimately say this is kind of one of the wilder recruitments that I can ever remember because it wasn't that long ago. When I say it wasn't that long, I mean like two months ago that we kind of thought, okay, uh, if anyone knew anything about Jalen Duran, most people assumed as far as his recruitment was concerned that he was a member of the class of 2022 and that he would never play a minute of college basketball. And first off, you know, credit to my buddy Jack Pilgrim, Kentucky Sports Radio. It was about you know middle of June that you first start to get the feeling of, oh, maybe college really is an option. Jack did an awesome interview with him at Pangos All-American Camp where he said, look, money's important. The professional options are, are certainly going to be there. But I want to go somewhere where I can develop, uh, learn, get better, and be prepared to be an NBA player. I'm not looking for X amount of dollars up front. I'm looking to be a $200 million player over the course of my career. And so if I have to sacrifice in the short term for the long term of that money, that is something I am willing to do. So all of a sudden, about middle of June, you start to realize, wait a second now, he very well could play college basketball. And then the trickle-down effect was you start to hear reports of, oh my goodness, he may reclassify and play this year. I believe Adam Zagoria was the first one to officially report it. I know I talked about it on this podcast in June. But just a really wild recruitment from the perspective that we go from thinking, okay, this kid's a junior going into his senior year. We don't know much about him, probably won't play college basketball, probably won't think about him again until he ends up in the NBA draft in 2020. 23 to all of a sudden he is playing college basketball and he wants to play this year. So with that out of the way, let's get into some of the, the relevant kind of conversations about it. And the first one is why Memphis? Why Memphis? Why over Kentucky, a school that's had a ton of success? Why over Miami, where his former high school and AAU coach is now coaching? Why Memphis? And to me, as best I can tell, I think there's two real reasons why, maybe a third one. The first one, we know that Penny Hardaway has pitched Memphis as being basically the junior NBA, and whether you like Penny Hardaway or not, I do think that pitch is resonating with players. And I know what everybody wants to say, oh, it's Penny Hardaway, he's terrible, he hasn't done that. And I can't argue that I would, th I would say that he has, for the most part, been disappointing over the first three years of his college basketball tenure. Memphis has not made an NCAA tournament in three years. Even the year where they had the number one recruiting class, it fell apart. I know James Wiseman got hurt, which we'll talk about, or James Wiseman got suspended, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I don't think you can really argue that Penny Hardaway has, for the most part, not lived up to the expectation of a guy that said, I want all the smoke going into the 2019-2020 season. But I do think the way that he's built his program is resonating with elite high school players. First of all, you go to Memphis, you get a chance to play for Penny Hardaway. You get a chance to play for a guy that was a four-time NBA All-Star, a guy that at one point was one of the 10 best basketball players on the planet, and you basically get to pick his brain for a year and say, hey, Coach Hardaway, Coach Penny, what did you do to have success to make it to the NBA? 
Penny Hardaway can teach him how to, you know, train, how to prepare, how to whatever. On top of that, I would say that Penny Hardaway has also become a pretty popular uh, workout guy during the summer with NBA draft prospects. RJ Hampton has gone to work out with him. Quentin Grimes has gone to work out with him. And they rave about how much he has helped improve their game. And so one, Penny Hardaway is getting a growing reputation as a guy that does prepare players for the NBA, whether they ultimately have success, uh, you know, as a team in college basketball or not, he is getting guys ready for the NBA. On top of that, I would also say, never forget uh, that it isn't just Penny Hardaway anymore at Memphis in terms of that NBA mindset and lifestyle. He brought in Larry freaking Brown as an assistant head, as an assistant coach this offseason. Larry Brown is whatever you, you think of Penny, whatever you think of Memphis, Larry Brown is one of the probably the 10 greatest basketball minds in the history of the sport, if not even, frankly, top three, top five. He's a guy that's coached Allen Iverson, Reggie Miller, Rip Hamilton, Chauncey Billups. He's seen it all. He's done it all. He's won an NBA title. He's won a college title. If you were an 18-year-old kid or the father of an 18-year-old kid, is that not a guy that you would want to pick his brain for a year? Because that is what is resonating with these high school players. On top of that, as I've said quite a bit, um, I believe Rasheed Wallace is on the brink of becoming an assistant coach uh, at Memphis as well. Rasheed Wallace, another former NBA All-Star, Jalen Duran, you're a big guy. You're from Philadelphia. You can go and learn from one of the greatest coaches in the history of the sport, along with Rasheed Wallace, an NBA All-Star with kind of the same size and frame as you, who's also from Philadelphia. I don't want to say it's a no-brainer, because I do think especially a place like Kentucky had a lot to offer, but at the same time, it does kind of make sense. The other big reason why I think he chose Memphis outside of that NBA pathway that they're selling him I do think name image likeness matters. And it's really interesting because I was actually over the last couple days, it's kind of crazy what we can do in this world now. You can basically get any piece of information you want at any given time. And over the last like three or four days, I've really actually spent a lot of time listening to Memphis Sports Talk Radio. I don't laugh. I'm trying to educate myself. I'm trying to learn. And it's crazy in my mind that I could just pull up a, a radio stream from Memphis on my phone at any given time. But one thing in listening to them, they're obviously the radio hosts down there are very excited as they should be about Jalen Duran coming. Like they're very vocal about name image likeness and the role that it is playing and how it is helping Memphis basketball. It is really funny because, you know, there's all sorts of schools and nobody really knows, okay, what's allowed, what's not, how far do we go, how do we push this? You know, I think really the game started to change when Miami had, a, you know, a, a guy basically pay the entire football team. But everyone's trying to figure out name, image, likeness. And listening to Memphis Sports Talk Radio, they're just very vocal about, hey, this basketball program, this athletic department has a great relationship with FedEx. It has a great relationship with all of the local businesses in this city. And those businesses are willing to do whatever it helps to take Memphis basketball to be elite. And so I just thought it was very interesting that they were just so open about that fact and that they really don't care. And so you, you, not that they don't care, but if anything, that they're using it to their advantage. It's probably unfair to say that they don't care. They're actually using it to their advantage. But I do think name, image, likeness did play a role in this, and I do think that Jalen Duran and his family are going to be very well taken care of while he plays a year at Memphis, you know, for Memphis basketball. And do I want to be reckless, and do I want to throw out a number, and do I want to take a guess? No, I don't. But, you know, listen, FedEx is a multi-billion dollar corporation, and we kind of know what the going rate for elite athletes at the college level is. We know that Quinn Ewers, the number one quarterback in America, expects to make a million dollars off name, image, likeness by going to Ohio State 
State this year. We know that Bryce Young, the quarterback at Alabama, could close in on somewhere between 800k and a million dollars before he ever takes a snap as Alabama's quarterback. And so when I look at Jalen Duran, when I look at Memphis, when I look at the relationship that Memphis has with FedEx and with all the local businesses in that community. I don't want to put a number on it, but what I'm saying is I don't think it was nothing either, and I don't think Jalen Duran is going strictly because of the coaching. I think there's probably a very nice large sum of money involved, which by NCA rules is above board, and it seems like Penny Hardaway is the guy that is getting ahead of this and saying, hey, these are relationships within the city. Let's make sure that you and your family get taken care of. Like it, hate it, whatever. These are the rules that are in place now, and you got to adjust. And to Penny Hardaway's credit, it appears as though he's adjusting better and faster, maybe than most other college coaches, college you know programs, whatever. All right, so that is why Jalen Duran ended up at Memphis. But from here, what I want to do is kind of kind of change gears and talk about what does it mean for Memphis. Because obviously, look, Penny Hardaway is a lightning rod. Penny Hardaway has not made very many friends. Uh, I have, I think, in some ways defended Penny Hardaway. But I'll tell you this. With this commitment, this decision, it is officially go time for Penny Hardaway. He is out of excuses. There is no more this, that, COVID, that, whatever. He's got to win and win big this year, get to the tournament, and have success there. And it was really interesting because when Jalen Duran did commit, Um, You know, probably the first question that I got from quite a few people was, well, Torres, where do you have Memphis right now? Like, where do you have them ranked? And what I would say is this. You look at this roster. It's probably one of the 10 to 12 most talented rosters in college basketball right now. First off, you did just get a commitment from a potential and probably future top five pick in the NBA draft. Uh, If Penny Hardaway does nothing but get Jalen Duran from today to the NBA draft next year without any hiccups, this should be a top five pick. But in addition to him, even if he didn't come, this was still a team that had the talent to make the NCAA tournament, probably finish second in the AAC, and do damage in the NCAA tournament. First of all, they got one of the best transfers in the portal this offseason, a kid named Earl Timberlake, 6'6", 6'6" played at Miami last year many people thought he was a potential one and done last year had a bunch of injuries it didn't work out he hits the portal ends up at Memphis and so Memphis frankly not only has Jalen Duran but maybe a potential other player who could be a first round pick in 2022 beyond that they bring back their top two scorers from last year's team Landers Nolly who averaged 13 a game DeAndre Williams who's a great chess piece 11 and a half points six rebounds three and a half assists just a really 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 talented player uh, Lester Quinones is another player who's a really good college player, former top 50-ish recruit. Alex Lomax, a, a, a really good college point guard. You bring in Chandler Lawson, a transfer from Oregon. Jonathan Lawson, a, a four-star recruit from Memphis. Like, they have a really talented team. And so when he asked me how good I think they can be or where I would rank them, I mean, I probably would have them ranked somewhere to 15 to 20, but part of this also is the reality that Penny Hardaway, I think for the most part, has not delivered as a college head coach. He is now entering year four, um, and, and what I will say is really quick is this, is like, look, I think we all know Penny Hardaway has yet to coach an NCAA tournament game. What I would also say is up until this year, he's kind of had a built-in excuse every single season that he has been at Memphis. Year one, takes over, Tubby Smith's players, whatever. Year two has the top number one recruiting class in the country. You bring in James Wiseman. He only plays three games. He gets suspended. He never comes back. DJ Jeffries, top 50 player. He's averaging double figures, gets hurt, gets lost for the season. So you don't, you, you weren't on track to make the NCAA tournament in 2020. It was obviously canceled because of COVID. And then last year in 2021, you don't make the NCAA tournament. But, but as I've said many times on this show, 
I truly do believe that Memphis was, frankly, probably one of the, I don't know, 68 or so best teams in college basketball by the end of last season. I've talked about it a lot, but they played Houston twice in the last week of the season, once at Houston, once in the conference tournament, and they frankly could have beat Houston both times. If they win even one of those games, they're probably an NCAA tournament team. Instead, they lose both, and they're on the outside looking in come Selection Sunday. But I'm telling you, I think they were one of the 68 best teams in college basketball last year. But I just bring it up to say, Penny has kind of had a little bit of an excuse every single year prior to this year. Well, I'll tell you this. In 2021, 2022, he is officially out of excuses. These are all his players. He obviously has the coaching staff in place that he wants. And he has one of the 15 most talented rosters in college basketball. And oh, by the way, that doesn't even take into account the fact that Amani Bates, the number one player in 2022 who just reclassified, he may end up on campus this year as well. But let's, by the way, I talked about Amani Bates on last episode, so if you missed it, go back and listen. But even if Amani Bates does not come to Memphis this year, you're still talking about one of the 15 most talented rosters in the country. I would put him right up there with Houston in the AAC. And so I do think this officially puts the pressure on Petty Hardaway. Petty Hardaway said two years ago, we want all the smoke. Uh, You know, he kind of gets a pass because of what happened with James Wiseman, because of what happens with DJ Jeffries. Well, this year, there are no excuses. The smoke is coming, and you can either handle it or you can't. And so when I look at this team and this coach and this coaching staff, what I'll say is this. It's not enough. First of all, you just got to make the NCAA tournament, but it's not enough just to make the NCAA tournament. This is a team that has to be good in the regular season. This is a team that has to be good in the postseason. This is a game that the team that has to get to the NCAA tournament. This is a team that has to win in the NCAA tournament. The roster is too talented not to. When I look at this Memphis team, this is not a team, if you're Penny Hardaway and you're trying to build what you say you're trying to build, this can't be a team that is 20-13 and 13 and gets into the NCAA tournament as a 10 seed. I know he's never made an NCAA tournament. I know for some schools, some coaches, some programs, it would be enough. Just make the NCAA tournament. People will be happy. Not in Memphis, not with Penny Hardaway, not this roster. I don't think it's just about making the NCAA tournament. I think it is about having a regular season that is reflective of the talent on this roster. Again, you can't go 20 and 11. You can't go 19 and 13. You can't go 22 and 11 and be an eight seed and get into the NCAA tournament. This is a roster with the talent that they have that should be like with the schedule that they have in the conference that they play in. This is a roster that really should be like 28 and 5 going into championship week with an NCAA tournament bid locked up, and it's just a question of how high can they be. You got to be 28 and 5. You got to be 30 and 4. You got to be 31 and 3. Like, like that is this kind of talent on this kind of roster. And it's on Penny Hardaway to have that kind of regular season to show not only can I recruit, not only can I develop, not only can I get guys ready for the NBA, but I can actually win with them on campus because at the end of the day, Memphis is no different than Kentucky. It's no different than North Carolina. It's no different than Duke. It's great to win all these recruiting battles, but if you don't win games on the court from November to March, eventually fans stop caring how good the recruiting wins are. You got to win during the regular season. So to me, this is a fascinating year. I am fascinated to see what happens with Memphis, and I think it's officially go time for Penny. Again, you got your guys. You got your coaching staff in place. You are officially out of excuses. This is a team that should be really, really good from start to finish. They're veteran. They're experienced, whatever. And what I would also say is you can't use the excuse of you're new to college basketball anymore, right? Juwan Howard comes in in Michigan year two, makes an Elite Eight, wins the Big Ten regular season title. Eric Musselman, I know he's not quote-unquote new to college basketball, but year two gets Arkansas to the Elite Eight. 
Nate Oates, year two at Alabama, gets Alabama a regular season SEC title, a SEC tournament title, and a Sweet 16 appearance. So the point I'm trying to make, Penny Hardaway, there are no more excuses. You got to get this done right now. Uh, and, and, and if you can't, We'll see what happens. But I do think you struggle to recruit these types of players if you can't develop them and you can't win with them when they're in college. Finally, what I want to do is just take a quick look at the other three options that, that Jalen Duran seriously considered and really talk about what it means for them and what happens next for each. Um, I want to start with Miami. And what I would just say is this. I would not want to be DJ Irving today. I don't know DJ Irving. I'm sure he's a great guy. This is no disrespect intended. But for people who don't know, DJ Irving was Jalen Duran's high school coach. He was Jalen Duran's AAU coach. And while no one would officially say it, like he was hired at Miami to make sure that Jalen Duran came to Miami in the same way that Cade Cunningham's brother was hired at Oklahoma State to make sure that Cade Cunningham came to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, excuse me. And so when you're at Miami right now, and this was actually one of my first thoughts, was like, I actually feel terrible for this guy. He was probably hired. He probably guaranteed Jim Laranega, we'll get in the door, we'll get this kid, it'll be no problem, I know him forever. You don't get this kid, I would just start looking over my back and I would probably be updating my resume knowing that I'm not going to be at Miami for very long. It was really interesting. I was actually talking to a, uh, a buddy of mine, high major assistant coach. He's coached at four or five, you know, power five, power six schools. And one thing he told me, we were talking a little bit about this commitment. He said, look, Aaron, one thing I'll tell you, I've been at a lot of these schools, a lot of big time programs. The one thing I have never done when I interviewed for a job was promised a player. I have never promised the coach that if you hire me, I will bring XYZ player because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, and, and if you're DJ Irving right now, you got to be nervous that you're probably not going to have a job at Miami beyond this year. Still think Miami's a good team. I think they're a potential tournament team, but obviously he was the piece, Jalen Duran, that would put them over the top. As far as Kentucky's concerned, you know, I'll say a couple things. I think it's really interesting. And so with Kentucky, I understand this idea that, like I just said with Miami, that, uh, you know, Jalen Duran was supposed to be the guy that put them over the top. This was supposed to be the revenge tour, the comeback tour. Yeah, you, you yourself, Kentucky, hires a bunch of really high-profile assistant coaches, Orlando Antigua, Chin Coleman. Uh, you, you kill the transfer portal with Severe Wheeler, with C.J. Frederick, with Kellen Grady, and this was supposed to be the cherry on top of the Sunday. What I would say is I still like Kentucky, and I know there's a lot of Kentucky fans that are really frustrated because of the fact that, um, you know, at one point you thought it was either going to be Kofi Coburn or Jalen Duran, and you end up with neither. And when Kofi Coburn committed, recommitted to Illinois, we talked a lot about it from Kentucky's perspective of Kentucky basically stopped recruiting Kofi Coburn, you know, for a few different reasons. One, they didn't necessarily love how he fit with their other guys, but two, because I do think they were in good position with Jalen Duran. And so there were a lot of Kentucky fans. I know a lot of you guys listen to this show. And there were a lot of Kentucky fans that basically assumed, well, you know, we, we, we kind of backed off Kofi Coburn, so we must be getting Jalen Dern. They don't get him, and there's a lot of frustration. What I would say is this. I still like this roster a lot, and I talked about it last week, but I still like this roster a lot. This is a veteran team. This is an experienced team. There's a lot of really good college players on this team. Early reports are that Kellen Grady has been killing it in practice. C.J. Frederick, when he comes back from injury, is going to be really good. Severe Wheeler was already one of the best point guards in the SEC. You have Oscar Shibway. And I'll also tell you this. This going to be a really unpopular opinion. I don't know that Keon Brooks, who was their starting power forward last year, starting, you know, whatever, I guess he was really more their sixth man behind Isaiah Jackson. 
I don't know that Jalen Duran is going to be significantly better than Keon Brooks next year. Keon Brooks is going to be a junior. Keon Brooks averaged 10 and 6 last year, basically coming off of an offseason where he didn't practice for four straight months because of an injury. And so I, I think Keon Brooks is the X factor to Kentucky. Now, if he regresses or he's not as good as we think, then yes, it could be a major problem for Kentucky. But on the flip side, I actually think he can be really good next year. And I don't think this is a sky is falling situation in Kentucky where it's like, you know, we didn't get this kid our whole season's ruined. I still think this is a team that can win the SEC. I still think this is a team that can make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, get back to a Final Four. And what I would also say with Kentucky is this. I've seen some pushback on, you know, it's another big recruit that Calipari missed out on. Why do you make all these hires on the coaching staff if you can't close on this kid? I think this is such a weird thing. I don't think you can fully really talk about this tw this new coaching staff until the class of 2022. You look at this, uh, you know, this recruitment again. Um, you know, Jalen Duran, you kind of get the feel that he is seriously considering coming to college this season right as that coaching change is being made. And I think you're playing catch up from there with Miami, which had a previous relationship with him, with Memphis that had been recruiting him all along. Yes, Calipari had been recruiting him, but when you're changing your whole coaching staff in the process, I'm just saying. And so to me, I saw some of this, well, what are you paying all this money to Orlando Antigua for? What are you paying all this money to Chin Coleman for? I thought they were behind the eight ball from the beginning. I thought they could make up for it. But I didn't think that, that necessarily they were, you know, I don't think this is a reflection that the, the, the new coaching staff isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Finally, what I would just say really quick, how about the G League, okay? So we're going to talk about the G League in a little bit with Aaron, when Aaron was right, when Aaron was wrong. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But what I would just say, this is just another major L for the G League. Remember, the G League was supposed to be the place where all the elite players went. You get a year of training under professional coaching staff, all that stuff. Look at what has happened since then. Think about all the guys that they've missed out on. They missed out on Jalen Suggs last year, who they offered a contract to. They missed out on Evan Mobley, who decided to go to USC. They missed out on Zaire Williams, who went to Stanford. They missed out on uh, the late Terrence Clark, who they had interest in. This previous recruiting class, they missed out on Chet Holmgren going to Gonzaga, Paolo Banchero. And so I look at the G League and missing out on this kid, I'll tell you, I don't know who runs it in terms of does anybody in the NBA offices actually really care about this program? But at the same time, I do think there are a lot of people that cannot be very happy with this program right now. Just think about it. Think about all the kids that are missing out on. And what I would just say really quick is one, they miss out on Imani Bates. It's like, how many kids are they going to miss out on before we realize that this program just isn't what we thought it was going to be? But two, what I would also say is, I told you this was going to happen. Think about the G League and when it first started and what I said on this podcast. What I said was this, I do think they're going to get kids. But what I think kids are going to realize is a couple things. One, the great exposure that college basketball provides. You don't think Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga were watching Jalen Suggs jump on that table at the Final Four and not sitting there saying, like, man, I wish I had that moment. And you could say about money this and payment that. I don't really care. At some point, you want to play basketball. And so you had no exposure. Nobody knew where you played your games. Nobody watched you. Nobody saw you. Nobody thought about you. Jalen Suggs is on national TV 35 times a game last year. Jalen Suggs is playing in a Final Four. Jalen Suggs is playing for a national championship. Beyond that, what I also said was, look, you're going to play in this program. You better love to practice because this is a program that is designed to be a training, uh, you know, a, a preparation thing, but it's not designed to play games. And so I think when you look at the fact that they, they barely played, they were off the radar, it was a lot of practice, it wasn't a lot of games, and I think what a lot of parents are realizing too is, do I want my son under the NBA microscope for a year? 
if these kids decide to go to college, they, you know, Kentucky basically has NBA scouts come into their practices once or twice a year. Once the season starts, they keep the, the scouts out. They say, we got to focus on our season. You can see these guys after the season. You go play in the G League, every single day you're playing in front of NBA scouts. Every single day you're playing in front of NBA personnel. And if you don't like to practice, if you don't like to play, if you don't like to work, if you're not going to lift, if you're you know, too distracted by other stuff off the court, whatever it may be, NBA teams are going to find out about it. And so you look at this past NBA draft cycle, three of the four kids from America who went to that G League pathway program did not get drafted where people expected them to. Jalen Green was obviously the great success story. He goes number two overall. Jalen Green was going to go number two overall no matter where he played. Jonathan Kaminga was supposed to be a top three, top five prospect. He goes number seven, okay. But then Isaiah Todd was supposed to be a lottery pick. He ends up going in the second round to the Milwaukee Bucks. And then Dacian Nix, who was supposed to go to UCLA, ends up going undrafted. And so I think a lot of these kids are looking and saying, like, this program is not all it's cracked up to be. I don't care if I'm making 500, 700, 800K. If it's going to hurt my draft stock, if it's going to hurt my ability to go in the draft where I was expected to go, I'm not going there. I'll go to college for a year. Then I'll let John Calipari rave about how great I am and how special I am. I'll, I'll let Juwan Howard, Penny Hardaway, Hubert Davis, Coach K, whoever it is, tell NBA scouts how much they love me. And I look back at that first G League class. Take a kid like Isaiah Todd. Isaiah Todd was a kid projected top 10 pick going into this past season. Committed to Michigan, decides not to go. Imagine if he goes to Michigan. Juwan Howard Think about all the, the ties that Juwan Howard has across the NBA. He's going to bat for you. You go, you go to Michigan for a year. He's telling all his NBA people how much he loves you, how much he's going to miss you, how much he wishes you weren't leaving. Instead, you go to the G League, you end up falling in the draft. And so for the G League, this is another big L. And I'm just very curious about what the future is. But Jalen Duren is a Memphis Tiger, uh, and I have certainly talked about this topic long enough. Let's get to some other stuff. Uh, what I want to do now, take a quick break. Uh, and when I come back, what I want to do is just hit a little bit on the Olympic basketball. Yes, I was wrong. Yes, I was the guy that said there is no way that they're going to win gold after they lost to France. So we'll talk about that. The summer of KD, we'll do a little where Aaron was right, right where Aaron was wrong. A little Bobby Bowden. I will be back in a moment. All right, everybody. I am back. Uh, great to be back. Great to be back. Um, I did the thing where I went really, really, really long on Jalen Duran. That tends to happen if you listen to this show. I, I didn't think I was going to go 25 minutes on Jalen Duran's commitment, but I do think whether it was from the Memphis perspective, the pressure that is now on them, the Kentucky perspective, why he chose Memphis, I thought it was a really interesting topic. But I want to do what I want to do now is I do want to switch gears. Uh, we will get to where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong in a minute, because there's been a lot of stuff that I have whiffed on over the last couple weeks, and I want to own up to it. Uh, but one of the things, as a matter of fact, that I did whiff on was Team USA Basketball. And if you listen to this show, if you listen to uh, about two weeks ago when they lost to France in the opening game of the uh, Olympic tournament, I said, Team USA is not going to win gold. They stink. I don't trust Popovich as a coach. I don't like how, these, how this team was constituted. I don't like how it was put together. I was obviously wrong on that. Um, but in the process of being wrong, which we'll get into in a minute, uh, you know, I, something struck me. And so what I want to do now is kind of hit on a quick topic. I don't, I, I don't, you know, listen, this isn't an NBA podcast. I don't want it to be an NBA podcast, but I think there was a greater basketball topic uh, that emerged out of these Olympics that I do think is interesting. And I think if you love basketball and if you listen to this podcast, I know you love basketball that I believe kind of emerged out of this Olympics. And it was that I now have a newfound appreciation for Kevin Durant. 
Uh, don't want to spend a ton of time on this. Don't want to make this a, an NBA topic. But to me, this isn't really an NBA topic. It is a we are watching a uniquely gifted athlete at the tail end of his prime, and it is time to appreciate it topic. And so what's interesting with Kevin Durant is I do think that as I always say on this show, I do think two things can be true when it comes to Kevin Durant. I think that over the past four, five, six years, I understand the criticism as to why people were frustrated with him or thought he copped out or thought whatever when he went to Golden State. But I also think that over the last six months or so, whether it be the NBA playoffs or now these Olympics, it's time to just appreciate this guy for exactly what he is, which is what I just said a moment ago, which is just one of the most uniquely gifted basketball players that we've ever seen. And in terms of why people didn't like him, I'll be honest, I was one of those guys. And Kevin Durant, I know you listen to everything. I know you hear everything. I know you see everything. If you want to drag me through the coals for what I said four or five years ago, I don't blame you. But I don't blame people for being frustrated with Kevin Durant making the decision he did to go to Golden State. If you remember at that moment in time, it was 2016, LeBron, the Cavs were coming off an NBA championship. They beat the Golden State Warriors. But what's easy to forget is that in the round before, the Golden State Warriors, who had won 73 games that regular season, the most in NBA history, uh, they almost lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who were up 3-1 to one in the Western Conference Finals. And so Oklahoma City blows that lead. Kevin Durant decides to leave, and he decides to go to the team that he nearly beat. And so when Kevin Durant decided to go to the Golden State Warriors, I understand people's frustration. Because I think when you, when you are the second best player in the world, going to the best team in the NBA, a team coming off a 73-win regular season, I get why people were frustrated. First of all, just from a competitive standpoint, I'll be real. You can argue with me. You can agree. You can disagree. I think it kind of ruined the NBA for a few years. I think when you're watching the NBA, you want to see competitiveness. You want to see greatness. You want to see different players step up and thrive and this and that and the other thing. And for those first two years, it just felt like the game was rigged. It just felt like no matter what happened, the Golden State Warriors were going to win the championship. And frankly, they probably would have won all three championships if Kevin Durant doesn't get hurt in the finals against the Toronto Raptors in 2019. And so I understand why people did not like Kevin Durant for a two, three, four year period. I was one of them. I said, if you're a really great player, why are you going to this team that was already great without you? Go do it somewhere else. Go prove it uh, you know, somewhere else. Go prove that you are this great player rather than latching onto the coattails of what was already built in Golden State. But what I would also say is over the last three or four months, how can we not appreciate Kevin Durant? I mean, think about what he has done. First of all, goes to Brooklyn, sits out last year, Achilles injury, and we don't really know what to expect from him coming back this season. I think the one thing we all expected was he's probably not going to be the same Kevin Durant. He's probably not going to be the guy that we saw and we watched and we appreciated and we loved in those Oklahoma City and Golden State days. Instead, he comes back. He's awesome. He kind of eases throughout the regular season. And in the playoffs, he was phenomenal. And the playoffs were the first time where I realized, oh, my God, whatever I thought about this guy going to Golden State, whatever I thought about the super team, whatever I thought about the fact that they ruined the NBA, this guy is an incredible basketball talent, the likes of which we have never seen before. And we will, frankly, probably never see again as it pertains to somebody with the exact skill set of seven Durant, Kevin Durant, a seven-footer who can step out, hit 28-foot threes, basically has no weakness in his offensive game. And I was watching those NBA playoffs, and I'm like, this guy is unbelievable. You go back, you watch those playoffs, you look at what he did, think about it. Uh, first of all, you know, you, you just think about the last three or four games against the Milwaukee Bucks. 
James Harden gets hurt, he's limited. Kyrie Irving gets hurt, he's completely out. They're playing Milwaukee, which ended up being basically the best defensive team in the NBA during these playoffs. Remember, Milwaukee just steamrolled the, the, the Phoenix Suns over those last four games, completely wore out Devin Booker, wore out DeAndre, and wore out Chris Paul, wore out Trey Young in the previous round. This is what Kevin Durant did in the last three games against the Milwaukee Bucks at a time when James Harden was less than 100% and Kyrie Irving was out altogether. 49 points in game five, 32 points in game six, 48 points in game seven. And as we all know, if his foot is a half a step back, they win game seven, they go to the Eastern Conference Finals. And so that was where I was just like, you know what, this guy is so different. I don't care what happened in Golden State. I want to appreciate him. Beyond that, what I would say is how about these Olympics? And we're going to get to why I was wrong on these Olympics momentarily. But what I would say, and this is an important part of it is, they don't win this gold without Kevin Durant. He just put together one of the greatest Olympic performances ever. Frankly, if he never plays in Olympics again, one of the greatest careers in the history of the Olympics. Think about this. I saw this stat. It blew my mind. He has been the leading scorer on Team USA each of the last three Olympics. 2012, they have LeBron. They have Chris Paul. They have Carmelo Anthony. Kevin Durant is the leading scorer. 2016, they have Kyrie, Draymond, Klay Thompson, whatever. He's the leading scorer. This year, they have Damian Lillard, Jason, Jason Tatum, but they need him to be the leading scorer because think of all the people that opted out of these Olympics. LeBron James opted out of these Olympics. Steph Curry opted out of these Olympics. James Harden opted out of these Olympics. Russell Westbrook opted out of these Olympics. Kyrie Irving, Klay Thompson, for obvious reasons, opted out of this Olympics. And so Team USA needed Kevin Durant to be great, and he was, becomes the first player to ever average 20-plus points per game over an Olympics, and he was incredible. And what makes it that much more incredible is that, as I said a minute ago, he was coming off a major, major, major injury. We're talking about an Achilles injury that for many players, they never recover from. They're never the same. I hate to say it, the late, great Kobe Bryant was never the same after he tore his Achilles. Not only does Kevin Durant come back from it, ball out in the NBA playoffs, but then he chooses to go to the Olympics when all those other guys say no. Klay Thompson says no. LeBron says no. Steph Curry says no. James Harden says no. Russell Westbrook says no. Kyrie says no. Kevin Durant, off an Achilles injury, says, I want to represent my country. And so when I look at Kevin Durant, let me just say, I was critical in the Golden State days. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, me and Nick Coffey ripped that guy to shreds uh, that first year when he went to Golden State. I think the show was on when they, I, I don't remember which year we started, but it, you know, Nick Coffey and I talked about the NBA Finals on this show. But what I would just say is the last six, eight months makes me appreciate this guy. We've never seen anybody like him. We never will see anybody like him. Um, and it's just time to accept that this is one of the greatest basketball players we've ever seen. But I just have so much respect for what he did in the NBA playoffs. And then off an Achilles injury when he had every reason to say, you know what, I'm just going to sit this one out. I'm going to get ready for the next NBA season. He goes to the Olympics. He leads us to Team USA. He, has, he leads us to gold. He has that flag draped over his shoulders representing Team USA. Newfound respect for Kevin Durant. All right, and so with that said, let's get to where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And if you're new to this show, this segment's pretty self-explanatory. And yes, I did rip it off from my buddy Colin Cowherd, a good friend of mine, been on his show a few times. But Colin, every Monday, comes on his show and basically does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong, three, four, five topics over the course of the previous week, smaller topics that he just basically says, look, I nailed this one. 
but I whiffed on this one. And that's what I'm going to do here because I do think as much as I love to come on this show and pat myself on the back and tell you how great I am, for a guy as opinionated as I am, like everybody else, I get my sports opinions wrong just like everybody else. So with that said, let's get to where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And I'll say this. I want to start. I usually like to start with a right one. I usually like to pat myself a little bit on the back. But let's start with where Aaron was wrong. Where Aaron was wrong, Team USA basketball. If you listen to this show two weeks ago, off the Olympic opener, they lose to France. I say, Team USA basketball is not winning the gold. Don't like the way they're coached. Don't like Greg Popovich. Think he's too arrogant. He's refusing to change. I don't like how this team is constructed. No true point guard. They need Trey Young. I don't like that they brought three players straight in from the NBA Finals. Uh, Yeah, I was wrong. Team USA rips off five straight wins to win the Olympic gold medal, their fourth straight gold medal. And what happened was a lot of what happens in basketball. Took a little time for the coaching staff to figure out how to use the players. Again, three players joined the team late. But once the team got into a routine, you kind of started to see they became comfortable playing together. They they enjoyed playing together, and they figured out how all the puzzle pieces fit. Kevin Durant's greatness shined throughout. But at the end of the day, I was 100% wrong because of the fact that Team USA did, in fact, win the gold medal. Where Aaron was right. Remember when Team USA lost? And I said, can we stop saying that the world is catching up to Team USA basketball. That is a lousy excuse. We've been using it since 2004 when we did not win the gold medal. Stop saying that the world is catching up to Team USA basketball. Well, apparently somebody agrees with me. Did you hear what Kevin Durant said after the game, after they won the gold medal? Here is Kevin Durant, Draymond Green on Instagram after Team USA won the gold medal on Friday. Everybody who said we were going to take the L, they had, a, they had some power rankings on. Ken- Kendrick Perkins, you talk a lot of We had a lot of they had some, Act like you American. <laughs> they had some power rankings out. They had us four behind Slovenia. Like, like this is not our game. Come on, man. Talking about they catching up to us. Like, are you serious? This skill is unmatched. How about that? So listen. You want to criticize your boy Torres, that's fine. But even Kevin Durant agrees. The world is not catching up to Team USA basketball. Yes, there are better individual players in international basketball right now than there were 25, 30 years ago when the Dream Team came to Barcelona. At the same time, the Team USA still was by far the most talented roster in this tournament and should have been the overwhelming favorite. When they lost to France, I heard all this nonsense about the world is catching up, this, that, the other thing. Here's the bottom line. France had four NBA players on their roster. Team USA obviously had 12 NBA players, including five NBA All-Stars. So stop telling me the world is caught up. And here's another thought I had watching the gold medal match on Friday. When we talk about the world catching up, yes, we can agree international players are better. Giannis from Greece is awesome. Luka from Slovenia is awesome. Rudy Gobert from France is awesome. But why does nobody ever acknowledge that America might have its most talented group of players in the history of the sport. It's not as though American players are not getting better while all the international players are. You look at the NBA right now, and I know all of these guys were not at the Olympics, but LeBron, he's a player, criticize LeBron for a lot of things. We've never seen a player like him 
who's the biggest player, the strongest player, the best facilitator, the best passer, great three-point shooter. Yes, we've seen similar players. Yes, Magic Johnson was awesome. Magic Johnson wasn't this strong. He wasn't this durable. He wasn't a great three-point shooter. Kevin Durant, I just said it. We've never seen a player like him in the history of basketball. Seven foot one, can hit threes from all over, can score from every place on the floor. Steph Curry, we've never seen a guy that can, that, that can hit 10, 11, 12 threes in one game from all shots, from all angles. I'm not saying that we've never seen another Damian Lillard, another Donovan Mitchell, another, uh, you know, Devin Booker, another Jason Tatum. But stop saying the world has caught up because of the fact that, never forget, even though the world is getting better, so are we. I never believe believe that nonsense it was a dumb narrative and Kevin Durant my boy agrees with me where Aaron was wrong let's go back to college let's talk name image like this because boy oh boy did I whiff on this one we obviously opened the show talking Jalen Duran, talking his decision to commit to Memphis and I'll be honest I think Jalen Duran. I don't know that he's playing college basketball this year if it wasn't for name image likeness. Now, no, now we'll never know. He said it wasn't, but it's easy to say that I'm 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 willing to turn down five hundred thousand dollars to to play for nothing in college. But it's another thing to have actually done it, and that was what he would have had to decide six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Instead, he knows he can go to college. He knows that he can make some money. Whether it's a lot of money, it remains to be seen. But it's enough money where he can take care of his family, where he can help himself. And I think just in general. It's going to be great for college sports as well. As you look across the board, I think it's going to change a lot of things. I think you look from the football perspective, maybe a guy like uh, basically anyone who's a third, fourth, fifth round pick, does it help convince them to come back for an extra year or two? Think back to this past NFL draft. Maybe somebody like Kyle Trask, maybe somebody like uh, you know uh, uh, you know Sam Ellinger from Texas. Those guys that were in that third, fourth, fifth round range, do they come back if they know they can make some money? I don't know, but I think it's going to help college football, and it's already helped college basketball. I talked about it a few weeks ago at the NBA draft deadline. But a guy like Hunter Dickinson from Michigan, he he said when he came back, he said, like, look, part of this is I know that I can make money by deciding to come back to play college through name, image, likeness. Johnny Juzang can make money. Uh, a lot of different guys can. And I think it's going to help keep the, the high-profile college players in the game for longer. And it's helping get the recruits to college in the first place, Jalen Duran being the most recent one. Speaking of high-profile recruits, where Aaron was right, how about Imani Bates? And so couple things on Imani Bates. First of all, I was the one, it's amazing, you listen to this show, you get, to, you get narratives and headlines two years ahead of everybody else. Because two years ago, when Imani Bates was first kind of getting noticed at Peach Jam as the greatest high school player since LeBron, I said at the time, guys, can we chill? Can we pump the brakes? Can we relax? I'm not saying he can't be good, but we've gone through this time after time after time, and none of these kids live up to the hype. Jabari Parker was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, best high school player since LeBron. Jabari Parker's been a very good basketball player, made a lot of money. He wasn't LeBron. Andrew Wiggins, best player since LeBron. He wasn't LeBron. You go through all the years, every single year, it seems like we have a kid or two that people want to tout as the best this, the best that, and it very rarely works. So that's where Aaron was right on Imani Bates, and I'll take it a step further. When he committed to Michigan State, the, the overwhelming narrative was he will never play college basketball no matter where he commits to. I said, I don't know. And I said it was because of name, image, likeness, like I just talked about a minute ago. We didn't know if it was going to be in place for 2021, 2022, but we knew it would be in place for 2022, 2023. And I said, look, this could be a game changer. 
This could be what gets this kid to a college campus. This could be what gets this kid to play college basketball if he can go to college and know that he can make money off of his name, image, and likeness. I was the only one that said it. I had a good plug at Michigan State that really, truly believed that, and it looks as though Imani Bates will go play college basketball. He should be announcing here in these next few weeks. Yes, the G League is an alternative. I don't know that they are very high on his list right now. I don't know that they even necessarily want him for two years. I think he's going to end up at Memphis, but where Aaron was right is that Imani Bates is probably going to play college basketball. It's going to be because of name, image, likeness, even when nobody was saying a year ago that he would ever play college basketball. Finally, where Aaron was right, only football topic of the entire show, except, of course, we'll talk momentarily about Bobby Bowden. Where Aaron was right, did you see what Zach Wilson did in his first debut with the New York Jets? New York Jets hold a uh, basically an open scrimmage, if you will, for their fans. Zach Wilson, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, it did not go well. And if you remember back to the NFL draft, one thing I said was this. I don't get the Zach Wilson hype. It was so funny. If you go back to the draft, remember, San Francisco was picking at three, and everyone was saying, how can they pick Mac Jones over Justin Fields? It's racist. It's this. It's that. And I said, I, I don't really get why we're arguing over Mac. Mac Jones had one of the most productive seasons in the history of college football. Here's my bigger question. Why are we so positive that Zach Wilson is going to be the number two pick? Why are we so positive that he should go ahead of, forget Mac Jones, Justin Fields, uh, Trey Lance, whoever it's going to end up being? This was a guy that had one good season, played at BYU, zero uh, power five schools all season long. I'm not saying that Zach Wilson can't be good. I'm just saying I never really understood why it was such a foregone conclusion that Zach Wilson should be the number two pick. And I'll tell you. I know an open scrimmage shouldn't be a be-all, end-all when it comes to Zach Wilson, but two interceptions, zero touchdowns in his debut with the Jets. All I'll say is J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Uh, this is the most Jets story imaginable. All right, and before we get out of here, uh, one last little topic, and it's a little bit of a bummer. Um, on Sunday, we did, in fact, lose a college football icon in Bobby Bowden, and Bobby Bowden, of course, was at Florida State forever, um, and over the last couple weeks, we got word that he had a terminal illness and that he did not have very long to live. It clearly escalated in, in the previous couple days. Terry Bowden, his son, is the head coach at Louisiana Monroe. He stepped away from the program in the last week or so to go be with his father, and on Sunday, Bobby Bowden passed away. Uh, first of all, what I would say, I, I told this story a few weeks ago when we first got the news that he had a terminal illness. Uh, I did get the chance to interview Bobby Bowden one time. I won't claim I know him. I won't claim maybe I caught him on a good day. But everything that you would think of when it came to Bobby Bowden was awesome during my one-on-one -on -one interview with him. As I told you, uh, the story was actually about Joe Maurer, who was, of course, the Minnesota Twins uh, all-star baseball player. When he was in high school, he was the number one high school baseball player, the number one high school football player in America. He was an elite quarterback, uh, and he committed to play football and baseball at Florida State before ultimately deciding to skip college to go to the MLB. Um, but in the process of doing that story, I interviewed Bobby Bowden, and, and Bobby Bowden had pretty vivid memories about having Joe Maurer on campus, about having the opportunity, about talking about talking to him, about having the chance to coach him. And I actually talked to Joe Maurer about it. He talked about, you know, you don't turn down the chance to play for Bobby Bowden, but eventually the money got too good. I decided to go to Major League Baseball. But Bobby Bowden passed away on Sunday uh, and an absolute icon. And, and what I would say is my experience seems to be very reflective of the people that knew him well. I saw great tributes from Danny Cannell, who played at Florida State, friend of mine, uh, from Charlie Ward, who played at Florida State. 
all these Florida State icons. Uh, you know, Nick Saban had great things to say. Jimbo Fisher had great things to say. Uh, and so Bobby Bowden, you know, he passes away. And in addition to just being a great guy, he was a heck of a football coach too. And I think anybody who watched college football in the 90s knows just the kind of impact that he had, how great of a coach that he was, the stat that I just keep on seeing, which is unbelievable. F 14 straight seasons from 1987 until 2000 when Bobby Bowden finished in the top five nationally. 14 straight seasons Florida State finished in the top five nationally. And if that doesn't sound impressive, think about it like this. Dabo Sweeney, who is running at worst the second best college basketball, college football program in the country. Dabo Sweeney has six straight top five finishes. So if you want to know how great Bobby Bowden was, Dabo Sweeney, one of the great coaches of his generation, five straight top 10 finishes, top five finishes, excuse me, six straight top 10. He's got to do this for another half decade to match Bobby Bowden. And so Bobby Bowden was an icon. If you watched college football in the 90s, Florida State was always in the conversation. They were always in the hunt. Their games against Miami are iconic. Their games against Florida are iconic. Steve Spurrier versus Bowden is iconic. I've talked to Butch Davis, the former Miami coach, about the respect that he had for Bobby Bowden in that Florida State program. They were just one of the great programs of the 90s. No different than how Clemson is today. No different than Ohio State is today. No different than how Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma is today. Florida State was one of those programs, and it was because of Bobby Bowden. The thing that I don't think people realize, Florida State is a former teacher's college, a former women's college, and he took that school and turned it into a perennial national championship contender. My last thought with Bobby Bowden is, and I think about this with a few different programs, but if there was a four-team playoff when Bobby Bowden was the head coach at Florida State. I can only imagine how many national championships this guy would have won. Again, he won two, uh, one with Charlie Ward in 1993 and one again in 1999. But if you think about 14 straight top five finishes, it means he basically would have been in the college football playoff for 14 straight years. Cannot even imagine how many national championships Bobby Bowden would have won. But he passed away on Sunday at the age of 91. Our thoughts are obviously with his, with his family, uh, with his sons, with his grandkids. Uh, but he certainly lived a fulfilling life. And he certainly left a lot of memories for us college football fans. So that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, covered a lot of ground. Jalen Duran, Kevin Durant, Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong, and of course, uh, Bobby Bowden. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. I'll tell you this. We got a couple great weeks coming on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. My buddy Hugh Freeze, I'm hoping to have on the show later this week. If not, no later than a week or so from now. He should be on in the next week or so. Cole Kublick from ESPN, my buddy, wants to come on as well, so he will be on soon. And before you know it, college football season is here. We basically got two Saturdays until the start of college football season. Week zero is on the 28th. And then the following week, we're kicking off, baby. So a lot of college football here coming up. And, of course, we'll follow any college hoops news, especially the Imani Bates stuff here in the coming weeks. Before we get out of here, make sure that you're subscribed. iTunes, the podcast, Addict App, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, hit Spotify. A lot of you listen on Spotify, so make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. Uh, but... Make sure you subscribe. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. 
Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back later this week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.